How's it going everybody and welcome to episode 90 of Master My Garden podcast. Now this week's episode I'm going back to Stayside for the second time and we're joined by Nicole Burke who's the author of a new garden book, The Kitchen Garden Revival. And The Kitchen Garden Revival, I haven't seen a copy of it yet, but uh, from what I can tell it's a book all about reviving the kitchen garden and the importance of it. And as I say, I'm delighted to be joined by Nicole. She's also the CEO of two companies, which is Gardenary and Rooted. And, you know, the the whole thing ties together. And the book is the, I suppose, a, an added piece to that. So, Nicole, you're very, very welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, John. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, so congratulations, firstly, on your new book, um, the Kitchen Garden Revival. I like the idea of it, love the name of it. Uh, so maybe tell us a little bit about it and how the book came to be and, and the origins of it. Yeah, I'd love to. So uh, I came to gardening uh, almost by accident, I guess. I do have a family history in horticulture. My grandfather was the head of horticulture at a Southern university in the States called Mississippi State. Um, and I grew up having to do lots of yard work. So I swore to my parents that I would have a yard full of gravel and I would never, ever touch a plant in my adult life. Um, but fast forward to 2010, I had three young children and another on the way. And my oldest daughter at the time was only four. And she kept looking at me. She said, Mommy, when are you going to start my garden? Okay. And I'm like, Carolyn, I barely have time to brush my teeth right now. I'm not sure when I'm going to find space or time to garden. But um, so we just, I, you know, I was home a lot as young moms can find themselves and uh, had been working a little bit by contract, but that piece of me was missing a little bit in terms of feeling productive, feeling like I was doing something besides cooking and taking care of babies. So we started a a garden in the backyard. And we actually tilled up the land. We were renting this home in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, everything was wrong about it. The timing is wrong. The setup was wrong. We failed at most things. Um, but fast forward a few years, and we were actually in Houston, Texas. We took all of the mistakes we'd made, and we moved to raised beds and great soil and good seeds. And we had our first few seasons of success. And my mom was visiting. She's the daughter of the head of horticulture. And she said, Nicole, what you what you tend to like, I think what you're doing, is it's called kitchen gardening. And I was like, what? I try to stay as far from the kitchen as possible. <laughs> and she's like, no, it's a kitchen garden. You know, she's like, even farmers have kitchen gardens. It's this little plot uh, where, where things are created and, and planted for regular tending to be used regularly in the kitchen. And I love that idea. And that's honestly what it kind of um, sparked my my desire to keep growing is I was in the kitchen a lot and it was a little monotonous, you know, yeah. and I was like, I don't, no one told us, you know, as children or when you're getting raised, like you're doing all this so that you can go to the grocery store, bring the groceries home, put the groceries away, take the groceries out, cook the groceries clean up from cooking the groceries and wash the dishes to get the groceries off and then do it all over again. And I'm like, I didn't realize this is what adulthood was going to yeah, be. There's no real know? fun in that. So, um, so the kitchen garden, really having a kitchen garden. Yeah. It brought, it brought this new excitement to that, you know, it broke up that monotony and instead of 
I mean, obviously, I'm still going to the grocery store quite a bit, but in between there, I'm stopping outside and cutting lettuce and some chives and basil and grabbing some cherry tomatoes. And it just made everyday life more special to me. So when I started my first company, Rooted Garden in 2015, my... um, I honestly just told anybody, anyone who wants help in the garden, I'll help you. And I told my husband, I said, if someone will just pay me to help them garden, I'll be so ecstatic. And as we both know in business, the more clear you get on your promise, the more people know whether or not they want to work with you. And so I started using the term kitchen garden more often and really honed in making that my specialty. I realized there were a million things we can do as gardeners to help people start growing. And the kitchen garden was really my favorite thing. And I thought it was something that could easily be passed on to to really anyone, even if they had no experience yet in the garden because of the great setup of the raised beds and trellises and new fresh soil and great plants and seeds. And so I started signing off on all of my Instagram posts and emails and saying, you know, thanks so much for bringing back the kitchen garden with me and talking a lot about how the kitchen garden was always a part of us. It was, you know, part of our human history, but we'd lost it over the last century or so. And uh, so that's really where the book came from. I use the word kitchen garden so much. I'm sure my audience was like, Nicole, please stop beating this drum. <laughs> but um, but a publisher picked up on it right away, and or maybe not right away, but she said they followed me for a while and then reached out in January of 2019 and said, you know, we've been wanting to do a book on kitchen gardening for a few years, but couldn't find someone to take on the project. And she said, you know, would you like to write a book about your kitchen garden style? And I was like, well, yes, I would. So that's how that's how the project started. And it was such a treat to get to write about something I love so much. And what do you see? Like, I've spoke about this so many times. Uh, I remember my grandparents' gardens, and it was it was just the perfect garden. Uh, quite small, but very, very productive. Always very healthy, the freshest of fruit and vegetables in it. And it was just... It was an extension of the kitchen, really, because it was very, very close to where the kitchen was, you know, in terms of its location. But it was so essential to the household. It was, um, I suppose, back in the 50s, 60s in Ireland, there probably wasn't lots of money going around. So it was an essential part of keeping the household running. And we lost that for many generations, Mm -hmm. I would have thought. And it is coming back now. But what are the actual your day-to-day benefits that you see in kitchen gardening and I know there's a few in relation to you know the help against fighting climate change the obvious health benefits for for you and your family but what else what else do you see yeah I uh I have the saying that the kitchen garden is good to the third power so uh I start with just you know the person who has the garden even just one person I mean, you and I both know it's so much deeper. It's it's obviously very physical, the benefit, but it's also mental and emotional. Uh, I know so many of us are, we know all these things we need to do to take better care of ourselves and move us into a healthier place. And yet it is so dang hard to do it. 
you know, we know we need to be outside. We know we need to be exercising. We know we need screen breaks. We know we need um, more veggies and raw foods. We know all these things, but it is, it's like all of culture is pushing against us. You know, it's like my, my son, I'll say, you know, I really would like you to take a break off the screen. And he's like, but it is really hard to do that. <laughs> you know, you have, you need something to push you in the other direction. And um, I read this great book. It's called The Power of Habit. And uh, I think it's Charles Duhigg. I may have that wrong, but oh, it's a very good book, actually. I oh, listened to amazing. it as an audio book only recently. Oh, awesome. So that I loved yeah. his idea of the keystone habit. You know, how you can have this one thing that you do that creates this chain reaction of all this other positive change. And if you can just get that one thing started, so many other positive things can come into your life. And I see the garden as a keystone habit. It's this one thing. If you if you put it there, if you connect it to your kitchen, uh, all these other things that you're requiring of yourself that you know you should do, uh, they're going to be they're going to almost just fall into place. Um, like stepping outside, getting off your screen, moving your body. Um, even I'm, I'm doing this kind of health study right now. And, and even yesterday it said, you know, we all think we need this huge cardio and, you know, big, massive workout. But studies actually show yeah. the healthiest people are people who just move all day. And um, it's, it's great to get a big workout in. But really what we need is, is just movement throughout the day. So for myself, you know, I, I go for a run in the morning and I walk. The garden is right by my driveway, right by my kitchen. So on my way in from the run, I, you know, I step into the garden and I pick some kale and I check on the plants, see how they're doing. Just in that little moment, my mind is clearing. I hear the birds chirping. I'm watching these fractiles and yeah. pieces of nature that, you know, wake up different parts of my brain that otherwise are dormant. And then I go inside, I use the kale, I mix it with some non-garden bananas and peaches from the freezer, and I make myself a smoothie. And then, you know, I pass through the day, I do some work, and then it's time for lunch, and I might head out to the herb garden and grab some basil and some chives for a sandwich or a salad, and then come back to dinner, and I might walk back out there with my daughter or by myself again and, you know, pick cherry tomatoes or some green beans for, um, to put on the side of tacos <laughs> or some other, uh, less than healthy thing I'm making for <laughs> my family. Um, so that's the internal piece. I think there's so, you could go so deep there in terms of mental health and emotional health and physical health. Um, but then the, the second power I think for the garden is community, um, I know for myself, having a garden connects me to the farmers. I go to the farmer's market more because I know how good that kind of food tastes. Um, I support the local yep. soil providers and the composters. Um, you know, you just end up being so much more connected to your local economy and food community. And then that third tier is what you mentioned already, the climate uh, piece is that it's actually good for the whole planet. Um, a huge thing that surprised me, such a great, I'll, I'll send the link for this if you want to share it with your listeners. Um, there was an NPR post on the waste just from a salad processing plant in the U.S. So it was startling for me to find out that like 98% of the U.S. greens are all grown in two places. 
uh, Yuma's Valley, Arizona, and Salinas Valley, California, and 98%. So you can live in New York City, you can live in Florida, you can live in Texas, you can live in Chicago, and 98% of the greens you see in the grocery have traveled, you know, upwards of 1,500 or 2,000 miles to reach you, which means that took fuel, that took storage, that took plastics and packaging. And um, the sad part is most of those greens eventually get thrown away. They don't even get eaten. <laughs> and um, and then even yeah. the greens that do yeah, get, eaten, get eaten, we've, yeah. And then even the greens that we do, that do get eaten, we've lost so much of the nutritional content by the time they actually reach our plate, just because of the nature of greens, as you and I know, like I'll pick a green from my garden and in three hours it's wilted. I'm like, what do they do to that stuff at the grocery store, you know? Um, so just simple things like that. I think we all, we all think we're going to, we have to make huge changes. You know, we need to own an oil company and shut it down or something or drive a, you know, a battery operated car or whatever. I remember one of the, an entrepreneur I spoke with when I first started Ruta Garden and he said to me something so powerful. He said, you know, Nicole, everybody thinks that, you know, the way to save the climate is to drive a, a battery operated car. And he said, we're all overlooking the simplest change that we can all make right where we are. And it's just little things like growing your own salad. Yeah, yeah for sure. You know, and those, those little cha- those little changes really add up and they're not that complicated. Yeah. And there, there, there's the multitude, like salads is a prime example. As you said, when you pick up salads in a supermarket, there is so much plastic and then so much energy along the chain. And it is such a low value produce really. And then when you look at it, it's actually the simplest of them all to yeah. grow. It's uh, like anybody can do it, even in a small space. Yeah, yeah, small space, low light, low tending, high production. Yeah, it's like man, what are we doing? Yeah, it this is crazy. Yeah, so it's it's fun. It's when it, I looked for a long time for a business to start, and when I when I realized how good the garden was, like. This is good at all levels because, you know, a lot of businesses we could start, if you push hard enough, you start to see like, ooh, that actually wouldn't be good if everybody did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like, let's say if we were going to fly people to the moon or something. <laughs> <laughs> but this business model, you're like, wow, if everybody started gardening, that would actually be incredible. There's yeah, be no hugely, downside to that. Hugely helpful. And when you're describing your day there now that starts with your, your walk and, or your run and then your smoothie and so on, the, the kitchen garden throughout the day is an integral part of it. Um, so it starts off with your smoothie and then your, your salads for lunch and whatnot. So it's an integral part of your day. How, as a busy mom at the start, how did you feel that helped you from a mental health perspective? Was it, was it uh, therapeutic out there? Was it, obviously, you get the workout and you mentioned about uh, that gardening gets you moving. And the, the one thing I find with gardening is that it gives you that functional movements all the time. So if you go out and you're doing some digging or some raking or whatever it is, it's all functional mm-hmm. movement that's useful in day-to-day life and moves a lot of muscles in the body. So it's not, you know, singular, a singular yeah. exercise. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. It's so true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mentally, you know, I, I used to say this before COVID. Now it's more true than ever, but... I used to tell everybody the garden was my getaway because I couldn't get away, <laughs> you know. So as a as a mom of young 
kids, I was in what I like to call nap jail. I don't know if you've ever heard of nap jail. No. But that is when your kids are napping and you really need them to nap and you cannot go anywhere, right? <laughs> so um, with four kids under four, I was pretty much in nap jail all day long yeah. um, for many years. And so, yeah, it's um, it was definitely, still is, um, my place to go. I remember one time... I shared this on Instagram. I may, I always make those little memes, you know, and the meme I put up was, uh, all I'm saying is you've never seen me crying and gardening at the same time. And I said it kind of cheeky, you know? Yeah. And, um, and it was so interesting, John, all the responses I got. So many people said, oh no, I go to the garden and that's where I cry. Oh. And it was a lot of really emotional responses of people saying, like, I go there to work through. Okay. They go to the garden to work through grief. And, um, yeah, I thought that was, it was really beautiful. And, I mean, I, I guess I, I haven't, I do have grief that I've gone through there. I think for me, more in, in my life where I am right now, it's not so much grief, it's stress. Yeah. Um, I'm sure I'll have my days of, of grieving as we all do, but, uh, the stress for me is the thing. And so having a quiet place, uh, that I don't have to travel far to get to, uh, that's essentially admission is free. It's a wonderful thing and it doesn't involve cleaning. (laughs) (laughs) I just, uh, you know, you can just kind of feel like you're turning circles in your own home sometimes. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, I would say it, it's definitely a place for me, for me mentally to to clear my thoughts. And um, it's I heard Brene Brown say this. I swim sometimes too, and and uh, I was listening to an interview with Brene Brown and Tim Ferriss, and uh, the armchair expert. What's his name? I forget. Anyway, um, they were talking about their practices, and she said she swims, and that's her form of med. She said I'm terrible at meditating. But I swim and, and that's when I get my my good thoughts and I'll, I'll like come to the end of the lane and I'll write down my thoughts. And Tim Ferriss said, well, you know, that totally counts as meditating. Like, don't say you're not good at meditating anymore. You know, you're you're basically using your body and, and clearing your mind. And I swim and I can totally relate to that. I love the clarity I get when I'm like totally underwater. But I would say the garden is a very close second to that feeling yeah. where it's like a different space you're in, you know, you're surrounded by all this, you can almost hear the plants growing and moving and responding to you. It's, it's really magical. It is. And it's, it's funny. I have, and I put up a little video about it last week. I've a polytunnel here and it's only, I've only got it going in the last 12 months, but on the outside of the polytunnel, I've put um, lots of pollinator friendly plants you know, to help with uh, aphid control and so on in the tunnel. But I have literally spent, and I was going to say I've wasted, but I haven't at all. I've spent hours upon hours just standing there. The amount of bees, butterflies, hoverflies, uh. and just wildlife there on the flowers. And you would literally spend, I could I could spend an hour just standing there looking at them. Uh, it's mesmerizing, and it does, obviously, it's uh, it's good to be out in nature, but there is something almost therapeutic there for me you know from a stress release perspective you're just looking at that and it's so relaxing Mm. and good to see i think during 
the last 12 months, people have found this. I love that. That's awesome. They've probably found this by accident over the last 12 months with, with COVID and whatnot. Um, you know, people people had no other choice other than to garden, and, and they've found that. I'm sure sort of 12 months in, there's probably people who have had very good success and some that have had only relative sex success with growing their own food and so on. What would your top tips be? Because I know that's the majority of what the gardenery does is gives advice and design on, on raised beds. So tell us what your kind of best advice to, to be successful at growing your own food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a saying. Uh, I talk about it in my book. I think it's chapter three. Uh, worst first. Do the worst part first. Get that over with. And, okay. and then you, you won't be sorry. So what I mean by that is slow down at the beginning. Take your time and set it up right. Okay. Too many of us, especially during COVID, myself included, we suddenly get the itch to garden and we run to the store and we buy some plants. Uh, we have no idea if it's the right season for the plants. They're just there and they're for sale. And so we grab them. And we don't have the garden set up yet. We don't have a bed prepared. We don't even know what kind of soil we need or what season we're in. We just know that we're too late and we should have started our garden yesterday. And nine times out of 10, those people, they're going to plant that plant. The plant is probably going to die. And unfortunately, probably 90% of those people will say, oh, I am horrible at gardening. I don't have a green thumb. I kill everything. And it's not them, it's the setup. So this is what I discovered with my first company, Ruta Garden, and now with Gardenary, is setup literally equals success. So you can take someone who has never gardened before or only failed in the garden, walk in and help them set their things up correctly. So choosing the right location, picking a design that works for them, picking a size that works with their availability and their experience, and then setting it up right. So leveling the ground, starting with a raised bed, using proper soil mixtures, not skimping on the soil, and then not buying a plant from a big box store, but taking time to either buy great seeds or good locally grown plants that setup, if you will slow down and, and learn how to set things up right, um, you are 95% there. It's like, um, you know, it's the difference of trying to dig a hole with a little kid's shovel and having a backhoe delivered at your house, right? It's like, Who's working harder? (laughs) The person with the little kid shovel, you know, so they're going, I'm horrible at digging. I just can't dig holes. I don't know what my problem is. You know, it's like, no, you're great at digging holes. Just let me give you a backhoe and then you got this. And um, that that would I would say is number one is set up, set up correctly, slow down and do the worst first. And why I say worst first is it is hard to set things up correctly. As you know, you've set up a polytunnel, right? I mean, it's like. It's a lot. It's heavy that clearing the land, leveling it, that whole part is can be really exhausting. That's why my my companies exist, because we do that for people so they don't have to and they can just kind of jump in. 
But if you are doing it yourself, take the time and gift yourself that. I always tell myself, okay, I'm getting the worst part over first, and then I'm going to get to enjoy the fruits of that for many years to come. Um, And then I have a path I recommend people start growing with. So just like we were talking about with lettuce greens, if you imagine a continuum, so like a diagonal line, and on this line, it represents sunlight, space, time, and tending. That um, all those things, generally speaking, now there are exceptions, but generally speaking, those things um, expand together. So when a plant needs more space, it generally needs more time and it generally will need more tending um, and more sunlight. When a plant is smaller, it's going to need less space, less light, less tending. Generally speaking, there's exceptions. So if you would start on the continuum based on where you are in your own gardening experience, you're going to find so much more success to build your confidence to keep going. So the really great thing is there are plants on every line, on every part of this line. So down at the bottom would be something like just buying a plant of oregano, right? You can put it in almost a very shady place. doesn't need a ton of space. You can cut from it immediately, like the day you buy it. And then you step up and you could grow lettuces and greens. And then you could go to bigger greens like kales and mustards and cabbages. Then you can go to root crops that stay in the ground longer, but don't need as much tending, but do need more sun. And then you graduate to the great fruiting crops like tomatoes and cucumbers and peppers. Most of us jump straight to tomatoes. And we're like, what's my problem? I didn't get any tomatoes. I'm horrible at gardening, right? And I equate that to, you know, if if I told you, John, I'm ready to start running. I've never run before. I think tomorrow I'm going to go do a marathon. What do you think? Am I going to am I going to run a great race or what? Right. You'd be like, Nicole, yeah. just run to the end of the block. OK, that would yeah. be a great start. And so um, so that's really the way I, I teach my students and our clients is just find your point on the continuum. Start with those plants start to master those and then move to the next level. And it's like learning to run. You just, you run a little bit further every season and eventually you find yourself uh, a marathoner, but you don't have to start that way. Yeah. And the, the plants, what plants are you recommending starting out? So like for us here in Ireland, the real simple ones are, you know, radish and spinach. You really can't go wrong with some of those. Is it the same for you guys and a data type of plants that you're recommending starting with? It is similar. Uh, I have found, so radishes, I found students sometimes have challenges because it's a root. So they, the spacing of the seeds and that kind of thing. So that usually I recommend as like a second or third level. Yeah. Spinach, similarly, just because, because of its peculiarity to temps. So in the U.S., oftentimes spinach is, it just is, either slow to slow to um, germinate because it's too hot or quick to bolt because we bump into heat too fast. Um, okay. But yeah, spinach and radishes, definitely that would be like as soon as you started to get some success. Um, I think you guys call it rocket. Um, we call it arugula. I would say hands yeah, down, absolutely. that's like super easy winner. Yeah. I have rarely found an arugula seed that a client can't get to sprout. And uh, even it, it's very, it seems very flexible for our different climates. So 
when I was gardening in Houston, we grew arugula all the time. And then up here in Chicago, we grow arugula all the time too. Um, so simple greens like that. Um, I love the spring mixes. Um, so like the, the red lettuces, the speckled lettuces, the little, um, green lettuces all together. And, uh, and then for the herbs, I tell everybody, if you can't grow anything else, you should grow chives. Uh, I don't know about you guys there, but I feel like I can't, I'm like, I could, I could give chives to everybody in my neighborhood. It's just so easy. Um, and they just keep, you know, producing more and more of themselves. Bulletproof. Yeah. One, one that I've found this year to be, it's the first time that I've grown it is, is Swiss chard. Oh yeah. Uh, I know you had a video up last week of, of a really nice Swiss har- uh, chard harvest. Uh, but it, it was my first year growing it and I've grown it in the polytunnel. I've been basically harvesting off the same batch of plants for 12 weeks Wow. We had quite warm temperatures. Again, I, it's relative for Ireland. We had quite warm temperatures. The the plants haven't bolted. And literally every day for the last sort of 12 weeks, I've been taking chard off them. They're, they're a super plant. Um, really impressed with those for, for this year. Oh, I love Swiss chard. You know, I first read this book. I think I might have it. There's a book about, it's like the edible front yard. It was one of the first books I read when I was starting Rooted Garden because I was thinking about like what plants are the most beautiful in the food garden. And uh, the author, I'm sorry, I can't think of her name, but she talked about Swiss chard. She called it a supermodel vegetable because uh, it's so beautiful, you know, the colors. And so I started growing it in my own garden and I didn't realize it at the time that it was a biennial so um, if your listeners don't know, it's a biennial is a plant that would take up to two years before it produces its seed. And um, it was crazy, John, like the first uh, season I grew those in my client's gardens, uh, the plants made it like 24 months. So these plants would just be wow. huge in the garden uh, because they never died. They would just keep producing. In fact, on the back of my book, or I'll show it to you. I don't know if you can see it through here, but can you see the Swiss chard on my shoulder? Yeah, I can. I don't know if you can yeah. see it in the photo. Obviously, your listeners can't, but in the book, um, I tried to imitate. There's a there's a flower farmer here in the U.S. that's published a lot of beautiful flower books. Her name is Erin uh, Benzakine. She owns Florette. And she has these these images where she's holding tons of flowers. And so I thought, okay, I want a picture of me holding a ton of Swiss chard. <laughs> Not <laughs> no, quite as beautiful, but plant. almost. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, it is. Before we start to, to close off, um, you might tell people, obviously the book is, is out now. And you might tell us a little bit about, I know you're, do, you're doing gardening courses on gardenery as well. So you might tell people about those. Yeah. Um, yeah, the book is the best way to get an overview of the system I've created. So uh, it's divided into two parts. The first part is called Creating the Kitchen Garden. So I walk you through the step-by-steps. I actually built my kitchen garden here in Chicago um, and photographed it for the book. And then in part two, we go through my systems for planning the calendar and planting. So I have a couple of unique things I teach in the book. One is learning the plant families. That really opened my eyes to um, the complexities of plants and simplified it down. 
Um, so I teach the plant families and then I teach my method of intensive planting. And that is basically ignoring all the rules that we are told on the back of the seed packages because we're growing in raised beds. So, um, so yeah, part one and part two, but the goal is that by the end of the book, you have a plan to design, build, set up, plan and plant your own garden. And it's been so amazing to see so many people posting their gardens that they've made after reading the book. You're like, wow, they actually follow the directions and it looks amazing. So, um, so that's really fun. After I wrote the book, I, uh, I filmed a course called Kitchen Garden Academy. So it's basically like, um, you know, if you were to take, say, a, a college course or a graduate course, not graduate, that would be beyond, more like a college course or like I was going to say whatever you would take in between high school and college. Um, and I teach um, I teach like the the concepts on a deeper level. We have a big workbook and then we have a community of actually over, I think we have a, um, over 22,000 um, students that are inside the academy. So that's been really fun. Um, and then if you're listening and you're a gardener, um, an experienced gardener, my biggest passion is actually um, to our our talk, John, about the garden's goodness. My biggest passion is actually making um, gardening a profitable profession. So looking at climate change and all the things coming down the pike for us in terms of working together uh, to change things for the better, I truly believe that we've got to tie economics to the change. And uh, my part in that is to help gardeners uh, create businesses. So um, I don't know what the budget is yeah. for you guys there in Ireland, but in the U.S., uh, believe it or not, people are going to spend about $145 billion in the gardening industry this year. Oh. And um, most of that will be spent on services and goods and products. So um, the the industry is huge, but what's missing is the education, the piece you're doing even here, um, the taking it and teaching it to people so they truly understand how to become a gardener, not just have a garden. And, uh, and so with that, I have a certification course called the Garden Coach Society. And uh, we only, I think we have one UK garden coach so far. So we're definitely lacking. And um, in that part of the world, we started mostly in the U.S. since that's where I'm based. Um, but we have about 500 garden coaches around the country so far. And um, and I just have a program where I teach all the from start to to scaling how someone can start their own garden consulting business. So if you have listeners who, you know, like me and you have ever dreamed of creating a business around their love for the garden um they can check that out on the Gardenery site. And then there are consultants listed there. So if you're looking for a gardener who's already been through the program, who could help you in your own garden uh, to design a kitchen garden for you and help you do the worst first, then uh, you can find those consultants listed on at Gardenery.com in the directory. Oh, I didn't realize that you were doing that. You were doing that. Um, and it's funny. I've had a couple of conversations on the podcast recently about, um, I suppose, how the role of a gardener needs to change and to become 
they need to be valued a lot more than they than they have yeah. been over the years. And I suppose part of that is obviously that the person themselves need to be skilled and trained to the highest level. But then, the, yeah, the monetary return needs to be there to match that because certainly in this part of the world, the gardener has been, I would say, an underpaid uh, profession for a long number of years. But it's highly important and becoming more important you know, as, as time goes on. Yeah, I mean, you, you know that one day will be the heroes, right? <laughs> so it's, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting how many gardeners I meet in this society who are considering starting their own business and they literally feel guilty for charging someone um, to help them learn how to garden. And it's, it's just a real interesting mindset we've gotten ourselves into. I'm like, I don't think Amazon feels bad for charging me when I order something from them, you know? Yeah. And even though the doctor is like helping me get better, I don't think he feels guilty for charging me for telling me what I can do for my body. So, um, yeah, I, it's a real passion of mine. I think if we can change the economics around the garden, um, that's the start to bringing the garden back for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you might direct people to your website and your book, I presume, is on Amazon. Yes, it is. That place. That we all spend our money. <laughs> and your website is gardenery.com. That's right. The idea is the garden becomes ordinary again. So that's where I came up with the name. Brilliant. Nicole, it has been a great chat. Uh, I meant to ask you at the start, but you have uh, Nicole Burke. It's a, it's a, quite an Irish name. Do you have Irish connections? I do. I'm so, it's, it's actually, I hadn't thought of it. So my husband, Jason Burke, uh, his grandfather, uh, actually immigrated from Ireland. He was a postman in the San Francisco Bay Area, and he married an Armenian woman who had immigrated from Armenia. And um, yeah, so my it's pretty. My my husband is very like fresh off the boat in this, like very different from me. My my family's history goes so far back in terms of immigration that I'm not. I don't know a lot about it, but yeah. Um, but yeah, so we have, we have Irish, Irish in our family, which is pretty neat. I unfortunately never got to meet my, the, uh, my husband's grandfather, but spent some time with his grandmother before we married. And he sounds like he was quite a character. So, um, I'm sure attest to, uh, his Irish background. Uh, Nicole, it's been it's been a really great chat. Uh, lots of interesting things. I wish you every success with the book, and I'm looking forward to getting a copy of it myself very soon. And thank you very, very much for coming on Master My Garden podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to hear your podcast and follow along with your success in the days to come too. We'll be in touch. So that's been this week's episode. A really interesting and enjoyable chat with Nicole, and a huge thanks to her for coming on the podcast. Uh, every episode that I bring out, I try and have a takeaway that you know people can take and use to master their own garden. And I think the clear uh, message in that is that you know do the heavy work early, get your setup right at the start. So don't be don't be rushing and stressing and uh, you know just throwing stuff into the ground. Have a plan, start small, start right, and then build confidence. So if you're not an experienced gardener, if you're starting from scratch. Start with the simple plants, uh, build success, 
once you get success with that, that'll give you the confidence to move on to the more difficult things to grow. And then you can scale up, you know, you can get more raised beds or develop more ground. And then hopefully over time, you can you can keep developing that, keep getting the benefits of it for you and your family and potentially have your kitchen garden producing for you for 12 months of the year, which would be, you know, it's aspirational, but it's certainly achievable for anybody. So again, start if you're starting small, just get your setup right and then move on from there. Uh, if you're enjoying the podcast, please share with all your garden friends. I'm coming up to episode 100. I said it last week, episode 100 will be coming up quite soon. Really looking to do something special for that because I think it is special achievement to hit 100 episodes. And I'm quite proud of what we've done here so far. Um, I think people are getting a lot from it. I'm getting real some great messages recently of people who are finding that the podcast is very beneficial for them in their own garden. And again, they get something from each episode that it can helps them to master their own garden. And that's the whole idea behind it. So really delighted with that. If anybody would like to support the podcast, you can do that on Buy Me A Coffee and you can find the links to that in my social profiles or on my website. Um, as I say, it just, it just helps keep the thing moving along. Uh, I've been very, very happy and surprised at how much people have wanted to support so far. So it's great. And as I say, you can find those links on the website. Um, definitely, if there's anything you'd like me to cover, let me know. I love covering episodes you know that people are requesting so if there's anything that you'd like me to cover just just shout more than happy to cover it and uh, that's pretty much this week's episode thanks for listening and until the next time happy gardening mm-hmm.